Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show Monday edition. I hope all of you are having fantastic starts to your week, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis, and I want to let you know that if you are in New York right now, you can join everybody out there in being able to gamble on sports, whether it is Arizona, oh, so many states now, Arizona, Wyoming, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Tennessee, uh, West Virginia, Colorado, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, all of the states. Just go ahead and sign up right now. You get up to a $1,000 no-risk wager. All you have to do is go to fanduel.com slash clay. That is fanduel.com slash clay. Up to $1,000 no-risk wager. And if you're in New York, the newest state to allow online sports gambling, you get $100 no-risk. All you have to do is go to fanduel.com slash clay. All right, let's dive right into everything that's going on right now. Alabama and Georgia play in a few hours from now. We're going to have a big breakdown of this both on the fade with me and Todd Furman in a couple of hours. And in about 45 minutes, I'll be breaking down this game on Fox Bet Live with Cousin Sal and with Alex Curry. So that is coming your way. Let me tell you this right now. I am on Georgia, minus two and a half. I'm also on the under in this game. And if you want a flyer on a prop bet, how about Stetson Bennett to score the first touchdown, 33 to one. Seems like pretty good value there. 33-1 to on Stetson Bennett to score the very first touchdown. Um, And why do I think Georgia's going to win? Okay, let me lay out my theory. I'm a big believer in look at the totality of a season and assess a team based on all those performances. And if you look at the Georgia Bulldogs, they've now played 14 games. 13 of those games have been very consistent. Dominant defense, very opportunistic offense, the best team on the field by a substantial margin in 13 of the 14 games. Really, Georgia has fallen apart in one game, and even in that one game, it was really the second quarter where Georgia's defense came undone. Georgia allowed more points in the second quarter of this game than they allowed in any other, second quarter of the Alabama game in the SEC championship, than they allowed in any other entire game. What happened? Remember, Georgia was up 10-0 and the under was looking like a good bet. A lot of people have already forgotten this. And then Jamison Williams got hit by Bryce Young on a crossing route. I believe it was a third down play, if I'm not mistaken. Basically ran untouched to the end zone, made it 10-7. And from there, the Alabama offensive onslaught was on fire. It didn't surprise me that Alabama won the SEC championship game. It surprised me that they won the way that they did in such dominant fashion. I believe Georgia is going to go back to the drawing board. They're going to play like the team they more more likely are representative of. And as a result, I believe that Georgia will beat Alabama. I think the final score in this one is going to be 24-17. to 17, Okay, let me explain also why. I also think this Alabama offensive line 
is not an elite-level offensive line. And the thing that surprised me about Georgia losing, again, if they had lost 21-17, 24-20, had been a close game, defensive struggle, I would have said, okay, I can see that. I didn't think they were going to give up 41. I didn't think they were going to get whipped like they did. So what surprised me the most was that Alabama's offensive line held up against Georgia's defensive line and gave Bryce Young all the time to throw that they did. I don't think that he will have as much time in this game. I also think the loss of Mechie is going to be significant uh, because then there's not really a Robin to uh, Jamison Williams' Batman. Okay, So I think that can become a big part of what transpires in this game. Ultimately, I just think the Georgia defensive front is going to have a lot of success against the Alabama offensive line. Now, Alabama, fortunate. They only won by six over LSU. They only beat Arkansas by seven. They lost to Texas A&M, a fairly mediocre, let's be honest, Texas A&M team. They were very fortunate to win in overtime against Auburn. Incredibly fortunate. And if you look at Alabama's performance over the course of the season, they were not very good, by and large, all year long. They barely beat the Florida Gators as well. In fact, Alabama won four SEC football games by seven or fewer points, and they also lost one. So worst performance for Alabama in years. Now, they played really well against Ole Miss, and they played really well against uh, Georgia. I believe Georgia vanquishes all of the demons that have been out there since Herschel Walker and crew won back in 1980. I know I'm probably driving Georgia fans crazy and certainly Atlanta area baseball fans crazy because you got the Braves championship already. I think the dogs are going to be barking in Indianapolis tonight and Georgia covers the two and a half, gets the win. Kirby Smart gets a victory. Let me tell you a story too, by the way. So, uh, I don't know, it's probably been three or four years ago now. I did the Regions Pro-Am Championship down in Birmingham, Alabama and Kirby Smart and I were in a golf cart. It took forever. We played for like five hours. Kirby and I were in a golf cart together on that five-hour ride. And I, I think Kirby is a really good dude. We had an awesome time hanging out. But what I will tell you is Alabama fans, I think it was the year after, uh, the spring after Alabama had won the national championship on the pass from Tua to Devontae Smith. What I remember from that particular, uh, particular event was this is really interesting. Alabama fans were letting Kirby Smart have it. Every time we would walk up close to uh, the green, They'd say, I don't know, Kirby. I think that looks like it might be about two feet away, one side or the other on the pin, and about 26 feet on, uh, on, the, on the distance. Long par five as we're walking down the fairway. A lot of Bama fans would be like, I don't know, Kirby. That looks like it's about 226, I would say, to the whole second 26. Get it? Get it? So they let him have it. Kirby, to his part, was doing a pretty good job of laughing it all off. But I believe... One reason why he was so good at laughing it off was because he knew that sooner or later he was going to win a national championship at Georgia. I think that is this year. I am on Georgia minus two and a half and I am on the under in this game. By the way, gambling picks finally got hot so far in the, uh, in the, uh, in the college football ranks. Went six and one uh, on the last seven NFL picks that we made. Pretty phenomenal. Uh, but... I believe that we are going to end up with Georgia winning their first national championship since 1980 and with the underhitting. If Georgia wins, that would mean that since the BCS started, 
and we got one versus two for the national championship. Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, and, uh, and LSU would have all won national championships. That's six of the current 14 SEC teams. If you add in Texas and Oklahoma, that's eight out of the 16 SEC teams that will have won a national championship since the BCS began. That's pretty crazy, right? Uh, pretty crazy level of competition in the SEC that I don't think is going to change. How about last night? One of the best NFL games that I have ever watched. Absolute crazy insanity. 19-play drive from Justin Herbert. Touchdown on the final play of the game. 29-29, they go into overtime. It looks like the Chargers and the Raiders is going to end in a tie, which would have bumped Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers out of the playoffs. And then, inexplicably, uh, you've got a timeout taken. I don't understand why the Chargers took a timeout. Uh, That feels to me, Brandon Staley making that decision, like a wildly unnecessary timeout. I'm watching it live. My wife doesn't care about it at all. But I'm saying to her, okay, they're in the shotgun, third and four. They're going to run the draw out of the shotgun. Be prepared for that. Get your stop, and they're going to allow the clock to run out. It's going to be too far for a field goal to be attempted. Instead, the Chargers took a timeout. Seemed like that changed a bit the Raiders' strategy. They then get the first down on third down get into field goal range, take a timeout with two seconds left. I think Staley, with his timeout there, changed the direction of that game. I do believe the Raiders would have gone for the tie if Staley does not take that timeout. But as much attention as we can put onto the decision-making in overtime, how good was Justin Herbert? Brian Flores, I'll talk about this in a moment, got fired. Ultimately, I think that was a firing that occurred because Justin Herbert was there for the taking and instead of taking Justin Herbert, the Dolphins went with Tua. Justin Herbert looks like by far the transcendent quarterback in that class Uh, and as a result, I think there are uh, a lot of people that are still upset about that. I'll talk about the NFL coaching fires in a moment. In fact, let's go ahead and talk about that right now. Uh, As we currently speak, Uh, All right, as we are currently speaking, and my phone just froze there for a minute, we have got several different openings going on at the head coaching positions. The coaches that have fired or resigned this year, you got John Gruden, obviously, who was fired effectively. Urban, who was fired. Vic Fangio, fired by the Denver Broncos. Mike Zimmer, fired by uh, by the Vikings. A little bit of a surprise there. GM also out with the Vikings. Matt Nagy done with the Chicago Bears. No surprise there. The only real surprise was Brian Flores. And to me, that didn't make any sense. I liked what I'd seen Brian Flores do with the Miami Dolphins. There must be behind-the-scenes disagreements in order to justify this move. It wouldn't shock me at all if one of these teams ends up bringing in Brian Flores as their next head coach. Who knows? Maybe the Raiders, although Rich uh, Bisaki, whose name I just killed probably, pronunciation there, is going to have a strong case to be made. Maybe the Jags, maybe the Broncos, maybe the Vikings, maybe the Bears. I think Flores gets one of those jobs. And so we will see what ends up happening in the NFL. All of those jobs, to me, the one that stands out the most is Brian Flores. And I wonder how much of this had to do with the pursuit of Deshaun Watson. 
because it seemed like owner Stephen Ross was saying, hey, as long as there's legal uncertainty, I'm not willing to trade for Deshaun Watson. Whereas it felt like the GM and the coach, maybe I'm wrong, were willing to make that move. And maybe that is part of the underlying storyline uh, that pertains to uh, that overall discussion in general. Um, just worth kind of putting a flashpoint out there and trying to figure out exactly what went on uh, in the larger context associated with uh, that decision kind of going forward. Uh, we've got the playoff set. Uh, I'll give you my early read on the bets. I'm on the Raiders. I'm on the Bills. I also like the over in Raiders Bengals. I'm on the Eagles. I'm on the 49ers. I'm on the Steelers. And I'm on the Rams. Those are the six sides that I'm taking. Those are all against the number. You can get your bets in at fanduel.com slash clay. Uh, but Titans and the Packers are the overall number one seeds. I'm not going to lie. The fact that the Titans managed to get to 12-5 and five and the overall number one seed in the AFC, you'll recall that they were sitting at 6-2 and two when Derrick Henry went down. So in nine games without Derrick Henry, Titans went 6-3. and three. That's pretty incredible. They also set an all-time record for number of players that were used on the roster, which is why, in my opinion, Mike Vrabel has to be the NFL Coach of the Year. I would cast my ballot for him getting to the one seed. Now, did I get a little bit nervous in the second half of that game against the Texans after I pronounced the game over when the Titans were up 21-0? It got down to uh, 21-18, a little bit apprehensive there. Ryan Tannehill made a great play to stay up. Uh, Titans go back up 28-18, give up another touchdown. They couldn't cover Danny Amendola, which is not a good sign looking forward. Uh, but they managed to go ahead, close out the game. They're the number one seed. I think that Mike Vrabel is your coach of the year. Fingers crossed that the Titans can at least win the divisional round home playoff game. That'll be against the Bengals, against the Steelers, against uh, the Raiders, or against the Patriots. Titans should be favored in that game. And then you get to host a home AFC championship game, which would be the biggest sporting event to ever take place in my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in wildcard weekend. We got games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Let me take a moment here, too, to say I wish they didn't play the national title game on a Monday. I wish they didn't play it on a school night. Uh, I got up early in the morning for years, as you guys know, to host a morning sports talk radio show. Uh, I'm used to not getting any sleep at all, but it's tough when you're a dad or you're a mom and your kids want to stay up on the East Coast till after midnight, but you know that you've got to get them up early for school the next day. My kids are going to be able to stay up and watch this game as late as it goes. I hope it's an entertaining game. Obviously, I've got a big Bama fan in my household, but... In general, I don't like the idea of a school night game that doesn't start till after 8 on the East Coast. It's just too late in terms of trying to develop your next generation of fans. Uh, a couple of other things. There's been a major pivot on COVID by the Biden administration. Suddenly, states are calculating how many people are in the hospital with COVID and because of COVID. This is a big difference uh, the state of New York now is saying roughly half of all COVID hospitalizations are actually taking place because people are in the hospital for other reasons and they test positive for COVID. 
not because uh, they are actually there for COVID. In other words, the difference between being with COVID and from COVID because of slash from COVID about half of all hospitalizations. Well, this would suggest also, if that data holds true, that around half at least of all the deaths from COVID are actually with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC, also came out and said, well, the data reflects something that we've been talking about uh, on OutKick programming and on the OutKick site for a long time. She said on Good, uh, uh, Good uh, Morning America, I think it was, that 75% of the people that are dying with COVID have four or more comorbidities and are actually very unhealthy. The numbers are actually, according to some data, even stronger than that. In other words, I've been saying this for a long time, it is not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It is more so, if you look at the actual data, uh, it is more so a pandemic of the elderly and unhealthy and also of the obese. And I want to read a statement for you uh, from today's Wall Street Journal. Let me go grab this. You guys know I make fun of myself all the time. I'm old school in the sense that I continue to read actual physical newspapers and break down everything from those physical newspapers. And this headline on the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal, let me give a shout out to the Wall Street Journal. The most fearless journalism in America that is taking taking place by any newspaper is the Wall Street Journal. I love their editorial pages because again, of the fearlessness and how based on data their articles are. And the headline is, Omicron makes Biden's mandates obsolete. And the final paragraph, it's a good one. Uh, This is written, by the way, by a winner of the 2008 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine, Dr. Montagnier. Uh, If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I apologize. And a constitutional scholar, Mr. Rubenfeld. Um, And the final paragraph of this Wall Street Journal editorial, which is so well done, is neither HHS nor OSHA ever considered Omicron or said a word about vaccine efficacy against it for the simple reason it hadn't yet been discovered. In these circumstances, longstanding legal principles require the justices to stay the mandate, that means not allow it to happen, and send them back to the agencies for a fresh look. That's an interesting pivot that would allow the Supreme Court to buy itself several months before these mandates went into effect without having to issue an official ruling on whether or not the executive authority has been exceeded as it pertains to OSHA's administrative law powers. Just worth thinking about. A really smart piece. I tweeted it out. I would encourage you guys to go read it. Uh, But here is a blockbuster paragraph that is actually embedded. Um, this uh, This is fascinating. The data we have suggests that these Omicron protection from the vaccines is really minimal. And I'm reading directly from this Wall Street Journal piece. One preprint study found that after 30 days, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines no longer had any statistically significant positive effect against Omicron infection. And after 90 days, 
their effect went negative. Let me repeat. This is from the Wall Street Journal. A Nobel Prize winning doctor uh, says that after 90 days, the effect went negative on COVID vaccines as it pertains to Omicron. That is, I'm reading directly from the article, vaccinated people were more susceptible to Omicron infection. Confirming this negative efficacy finding, data from Denmark and the Canadian province of Ontario indicate vaccinated people have higher rates of Omicron infection than unvaccinated people. That would be a blockbuster if it turns out to be confirmed by more data because what it would represent is far from Biden and Fauci and the CDC arguing that we have a pandemic of the unvaccinated. What we would actually have is a pandemic of the vaccinated. This is a monumentally interesting uh, section of this article that, again, I would encourage you guys all to, gr- to read from today's Wall Street Journal. And also, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal uh, because, I mean, I just I can't imagine how much uh, more intelligent your analysis of facts can be when you actually have the basis of good factual data to discuss. Uh, we got a crazy story in the Ivy League. Did you guys see this story? Uh, We had it up on OutKick over the weekend. Ivy League swimming, 100 meter. Uh, We have a transgender male uh, becoming a woman who is swimming. In other words, the University of Pennsylvania has a swimmer who for three years swam with the men's swimming team, biologically male. He's decided to become a woman and he now is dominating. I believe Leah Thomas is the name of that swimmer. If I got that wrong, I apologize. Uh, And... The top other swimmer that nobody has talked about, there is a transgender swimmer for the Ivy League. Uh, And that transgender swimmer for the Ivy League is actually a woman who has become or is in the process of becoming a man. Uh, This Ivy League swimmer who is female attempting to become a man has had her breast removed and celebrates swimming wins by pulling the top down to reveal Uh, that there are no longer breasts there, and I guess they are uh, masculine chest. I don't know. I don't know how all this works. It's hard to keep up. This is where we are in women's swimming. It is an unmitigated disaster that is continuing to make a mockery of women's athletics. Uh, You can go follow that story and read about it at OutKick if you would so desire. Finally, Australia is in the grips of a massive increase in COVID. In fact, over the weekend, and I will read you the latest data uh, from Australia, this is pretty wild when when you analyze it. Uh, But in Australia, they are setting all-time highs for COVID infections. And this is the, uh, let me read for you the most recent numbers coming from Australia. This is two days ago, so I'm not sure what the current data is today. But two days ago, Australia reported 116,000 new COVID cases, by far the biggest one-day increase on record. Remember, initially, Australia had a COVID zero policy. They then opened things up when they got the vaccines, and things are starting to get back to normal in Australia, but COVID is now surging beyond belief. Well, the Australian Open, the tennis tournament, is starting soon, and Novak Djokovic, the best player in the world, 
decided to travel. He got a special exemption because he's already had COVID before. While he was traveling, the fact that he got a special exemption became news. It angered many people in Australia. And so when Novak Djokovic arrived in Australia, they decided to not allow him to enter the country uh, because they were rescinding his, uh, his exemption that allowed him to play despite not being vaccinated. So Novak Djokovic went into the courts and actually won in the courts the right to be able to, uh, to have, his, uh, have, his, uh, have his ability to compete in the Australian Open. He won in the courts. They overturned his restrictions. They were holding him basically hostage in a uh, hotel room there. He's now out of the hotel room and practicing at the Australian Open courts. We'll see what comes next, but congrats to Novak Djokovic for winning his legal appeal. All right, I love all of you. Go get your bets in at fanduel.com slash clay. I am on Alabama, sorry, Georgia minus two and a half and the under in the Alabama-Georgia game. That is Georgia minus two and a half and the under in the national title game tonight. I hope all of you enjoy the game. If it's a wild game, I might even try to come and talk with you live right after the game ends. If it's not very exciting, I'm probably just going to go to bed. But I appreciate all of you. I will be live on FS1 in about a half hour talking about sports gambling, making picks in the wild card, and also for the national title game with more detail uh, with Fox Bet Live on FS1 at 5 Eastern, 4 Central, 3 Mountain, 2 Pacific. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I am Clay Travis, and this has been OutKick the show.